Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. On today's episode, we have the Tower Quartet, formed by Leanna Elmore, Aaron Adams, Matthew Smoke, and Kelvin Diaz Inoa. Hailed by musical professionals for their energy and commitment to music making, the Tower Quartet was formed in 2018 by current and former Fresno State grad students. With a passion for outreach and education, the Tower Quartet presents chamber performances and coaches music programs at public schools throughout the Valley. Combining a love for tradition with an eye towards inclusion, the Tower Quartet performs both in conventional and unusual spaces, bridging the gap between genres and traditions. As always, you can support this podcast through Patreon by making a financial contribution or by giving us a rating and review. Both of those go a long way to making this podcast sustainable and successful. Now, let's go meet the Tower Quartet. Fresno's best! All right. So, where do you all like to eat in Fresno? Should I go first? <laughs> yes, please. Um, uh, me and my husband, we like to be local as much as possible. So we our, our favorite restaurant used to be Boca Takaria in um, Tower District, but we just heard they closed permanently. I'm so sad about that. That's yeah. Terrible. They had an awesome salsa flight with like 10 different kinds of salsas that we loved, but they said they're going to open another restaurant that might have it. So we're excited about that. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, me personally, doghouse is my favorite comfort food. Um, it's always nice to be when I'm out of town and I come back. It's always nice to know that I'm coming back home to doghouse. But I've recently, um, been eating a lot of Planet Vegan. Uh, the, the food truck. It's really, really, really good. I, I really, um, I love heirloom. That's like my favorite. This past year, two years, you know. Um, they have amazing food and I would be remiss if I didn't mention ampersand ice cream. <laughs> They're the bomb. They're awesome. Can I, can I criticize ampersand for a second? I love everything about them, but one thing. Mm. And I, I actually recently have <laughs> uncovered, un, uh, discovered the truth of this. Um, so one of my favorite ice creams at ampersand is the honeycomb, uh, mm. but they never give enough honeycomb. They're just, they're, they are terrible with their portions of honeycomb. And the other day, I was just so pissed about it that I made my own honeycomb. And it's just literally water, corn syrup, and sugar. And then you kind of, you, you, you cook it till it caramelizes, and then you pour it on a big tray, and it blows up like a balloon. And I, you know, it's like, it like a dollar. It's like a dollar to make like a, like a flat of honeycomb. So they should really, you know, I love everything about them. They, if I could change one thing, it would be more honeycomb. So I will, I will add that. <laughs> To write that in the reviews. Yeah, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I don't be that guy. <laughs> well, you know, homemade. You know, homemade is always best, I think. But you know, when you don't have the time, you don't want to. Yeah, honeycomb is its own yeah. adventure. I I like there. I, there's two restaurants in town that I really really enjoy. Um, one is a slice of India, Indian food. Um, really, really good. I, every time that I that I'm feeling a little bit down, that's my place to go. Like, always makes my heart happy. And the other one is Pad Thai, um, right oh, here. Oh, 
place is so good. Ah, it's pretty good. Um, but I like I like food in general, so I I like to visit different places. Let me ask you guys a food related but musician related question: Do you eat before you play? No. No. We're we're divided on this. Calvin is going to tell you a different answer, but especially for Leanna and I, there's no way because the worst thing is to be in the middle of a performance and you like feel your tummy like digesting or whatever and all that energy is like drained away and you can't like focus but Calvin right now is going to give you a complete opposite answer so before you get into it Calvin I do have a story because I I I I was in jazz band in high school and um we had those like plastic seats um and we had some competition we were in in Orange County and we went to this like nacho bar beforehand and this poor saxophone player just released this fart on his plastic chair and it just like reverberated in the oh, whole room because you know those plastic you know i'm talking about those chairs that are just basically like little drums <laughs> but kelvin please give me give me give me give me the alternative take so this is funny um i feel like for me it has changed a little bit but at the same time it's really consistent um before um since we started the quartet we talk a lot about it i'm like do you eat before the concert and the the two girls always would say no no that's like that's like a no no (laughs) and then we're starving at the end (laughs) the thing is that when you eat before the concert um depending if you have a really heavy food then you're like really tired by the end and and concerts are really draining i mean you're intellectually are really engaged. Emotionally, you're really engaged. There's a lot of things happening. Um, we organize our whole concert. So there's nobody working administration-wise. We are doing everything. So there's a lot going on in our mind. Um, so, so I get it, not eating before the concert because you don't want to be by the end of the concert dying. Although what i did is i changed completely my diet i did change completely how i eat so i'm actually a little bit more conscious in the way that i eat throughout my life just in general um that way the day of the concert i don't eat different i don't want to eat different because i want to feel the day of the concert like any other day um because if i'm changing something the day on the concert i will play different I will interpret the music differently because my head, my head will be in another space. So I try to maintain myself in the same thing. So that's interesting because I think people don't associate being a musician with like a, the physical component of it. Um, <laughs> and do you guys consider uh, musicians as a type of athlete? Yeah. Musicians are extremely, like extremely aware of their body. I mean, Ask any violinist of how to hold the violin. You're thinking every single second, even of how you're touching the string down, how you're holding the bow, how you're feeling every single finger into the bow, all the vibrations that are going on. You're thinking really physically. Obviously, it's not an athlete that is running four miles. You know, it's, not, it's nothing crazy like that. Um, but it's a different type of... Um, awareness about your body i think it's more about awareness in, in your body music it's it's a really high level of awareness if you ask me and also endurance you know it, it's kind of like being a marathon runner in a way because you have to you know space everything out so you have enough energy to get through a two-hour program you know playing all the notes holding up your instrument you know 
giving it your 100% focus the whole time. We also get injured like athletes too. We yeah, I usually know. Carpal Sorry. I usually know that at the end of the day, like, I know it's time to stop practicing when my my arms are getting sore, my back's getting sore, I can feel it in my hands. So I definitely feel like like after I'm done practicing every day, it feels like I probably just worked out equivalent. You guys can probably tell me who this is because their their name is escaping me. It's um, she's a very famous violin player and she just had a John Williams kind of adaptation uh, or a bunch of a bunch of his songs. What is her name? And when she, Sophie, Sophie. Yeah, yeah, Sophie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Sophie Mutter. Something like that. But when she performs, like, it's just, it's like a, it's like not, you know, it's not like a choreographed dance, but it feels that way when you watch her. And I, I you know, I can't get enough, but uh, <laughs> that's a whole different story. Um, so I would love if you guys just share. I'm going to stop saying you guys. If you all, y'all, that'd be helpful if I was from the South, y'all would um, talk a little bit about your journeys through classical music um, and how you arrived to where you are. Um, and then I want you to talk a little bit about uh, education, you know, how, how, um, how you view the way the schools prepared you, the school system prepared you to be a musician. Um, you know, as you know, a lot of schools are cutting fine art programs. And so there's a lot of uh, you know, people that are having to outsource their music education, which is, you know, obviously all we need to be successful, right, is like reading and math, right, of course. You know, I'm sarcastic. Um, uh, but it's, it's happening. So I would just love if you guys shared, there it is, yeah. if you all shared your journeys uh, with me, because uh, I'd love to hear how you got to be where you are. Can I go first again? There you go. I like the circle. Yeah, kind of circle, Zoom circle. Uh, well, my experience uh, might not be super relatable because I grew up into a musical family. My, my mom and my aunt were both violinists and violists, and my mom made me and all four of my siblings learn the violin among a, a bunch of other instruments like piano and trombone and things like that. And, but she did put us in like all the programs like Youth Orchestras of Fresno, and Sequoia Music Camp and ASTA and CODA and all these things. So I definitely was part of the school system too. Um, but I think that it, it felt like I was the, one of the privileged ones. I sort of looking back wish that more kids were given the opportunity and given the opportunity sooner because I know they start them like around fifth grade or something. But by fifth grade, um, there's so much time that is lost that would have been so valuable because as a lot of people know, it's way e easier to teach kids music when they're younger. So I, I would probably move that to like second grade or something like that. And because I started when I was five and now people are starting their kids, their little prodigies at like two years old, which is a little crazy, but, um, but yeah, for the schools, I think that would be great. And then the other thing was I wish that they would have taught us ear training and music theory earlier. Like we, all of us didn't really get deep into that, maybe except for Kelvin, uh, <laughs> because he, you know, had a different kind of system a little bit. Maybe he benefited from, um, we didn't really get that till college. And I felt like I was behind the whole time. And if I had known these things about like intervals and how to like sight thing with solfege, I feel like I would have been way more confident. 
and I uh, would have felt like I could understand what was on the page a little bit more instead of constantly like chasing it. Um, so that I think that would be the biggest change. And then maybe also just making music sort of mandatory as as much as science and English, because I think it's it's so important to humanity and um, we're really robbing the next generation of this, this really great thing that can teach them a lot, like discipline and and things about math. And um, yeah, I just think everyone should do it. And they don't have to become musicians. Like we don't all become scientists and, and writers just because we're taking science English. So yeah. That's my I'm going to add, I'm going to add another layer of the question that I want you to answer and everyone else to as well, which is, can you become a serious musician without having those extra things on top in childhood? In other words, if you just went through like the traditional public school route, music route, do you think it's possible? I, I mean, do you think that, what I'm trying to say is kids that don't have, you know, the, the privileges to do those things, do they have a legitimate shot to be a musician if they're not just naturally super talented? Absolutely, yes. I, I think, but again, if they start earlier, like uh, in second grade in school, they have a better chance. But I've heard stories about people who said like, you know, I started when I was uh, around eight or something and they go on to become amazing musicians better than me who started when I was five but I was like a bratty rebellious teenager <laughs> so I lost time myself too but I still came back because I, I worked on it and it's not about being talented like there's these great guys uh, called Two Set Violin on YouTube I don't know if anyone's familiar but they, they always uh, make fun of people who say uh, that genius geniuses are born, not created, um, <laughs> because it's it's ridiculous to think that you come out talented and you don't have to work for anything. Like it, the people who are talented maybe have a slight advantage, but they're in the practice room for hours, just like we are, and um, that's really what it is. All right. So my musical journey. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Bullard Talent before elementary school, so they actually I was actually allowed to start music in the second grade, like Leanna was recommending. Different from public schools, I think like now it's it's fifth grade where you're allowed to pick an instrument and things like that. Um, funny enough, I didn't originally intend to play the viola; I intended to play the violin when I went to that orchestra class on the first day. Um, but me being me, I wasn't really paying attention and. The, the teacher said viola, so I, was, I thought she said violin. So I raised my hand. I was looking around, and nobody else was raising their hand. So I was like, "Oh, that's that's weird." And the next the next thing she said was violin, and I was a little too embarrassed to say that I made a mistake. So I kind of just stuck with it. Um, but getting into the school system, I think it, I think it. Going on your question of does does a musician have a chance to to make it into a successful career? Going through the school system, I think it's yes and no. It depends on the individual person and, and their circumstances and everything. Um, I think for me personally, like me, I just I was always motivated to to get better and see what I could do on the instrument. Um, but I understand that some kids, it's that's not always the case. But then the system that we have now doesn't necessarily push students or motivate students sometimes when they when they need that extra extra push to keep going. So that's why. I feel like the, the system that we have now made that's why we see some students kind of drop out and we see not as m much musicians come out of, of public schools than we do academics. 
So I actually started in a public school. Um, I grew up in Stockton near Sacramento. And at that time, the district that I was in had an amazing music program, amazing. And we were started in third grade. And the um, string teacher came into our classroom and demonstrated the violin, the viola, all this stuff, and then asked who wants to come up and try it out, you know, in front of the class. And of course, everybody raised their hands. But for some reason, she picked me. And at eight years old, it was this like, amazing moment in time where everything just kind of clicked into place. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I had to beg my mother to let me play a lot different story than Liana, who was kind of like, told she was going to play. Um, and, you know, I was relentless until I was able to to start classes. And that was kind of my the start of my journey. Um, I think also, like Leanna was saying, uh, music should be taught to every single student and not just separately, not, you know, okay, let's go to music class for 30 minutes and then whatever. Music relates to every single subject that they're learning. It also uh, creates discipline, it creates focus, it creates endurance, all of these things. So it, it makes students more well-rounded. So I think it's it's super important and also starting younger. Yeah. Um okay, so let me see how I start this because I, I, I feel like I, I can go for hours just in this question. <laughs> sure, for sure. I feel like I am a, a big example for anybody who is out there and think that it's not possible. I come from a really low income family. When I'm telling you low income, you have no idea. <laughs> um, and I have always, always, always have really clear that it's possible. And I started when I was seven with recorder. Um, at 10, I decided to go and play cello. I started in a system that it was um, inspiring the Venezuela system um, in Puerto Rico. And back then, I, I Grab this instrument, and this was my hop because I knew from my family that I needed to make money. <laughs> I was the one that needed to make money in my family, so I, I that was my my mentality at that point. But at certain age, I find out, hey, I I I just I just have gotten so much out of music. Music it, it's such a big passion for me, and at that age, um, I was sixteen probably when I took the cello really seriously. Um, I feel there was everything about the passion, about the passion. And that passion drove me um, to move to Philadelphia. Um, and there, and I did it all for a dream. I, I was shooting for a dream, which was being the best that I could be. I was not a competing with anybody. I, I really didn't care about what it was around me. It was just about how can I become the best that I can, that I can come. And then I find the professor that I have, and then I came to Fresno. Um, with a professor that, that, that is there every day to inspire me to be the best that I can be. Every single day, every single day, without caring what is going outside, it's just you're being the best that you can. What is being the best that you can for me? For me, being the best that you can at being intellectually, it's noting your surroundings, 
um, being a good friend. These people are my family. <laughs> um, like if, if anybody come and say something to, to, to them, I will fight them. <laughs> These are my family. Um, and, and in the same thing, we take it to the state. I mean, and, and that has been brought to me by, by the experience of all my life, all my journey. There are so many things um, that I can explain to you by that. Um, but, but, but it gets really broadened. It gets really broad, and I'm trying to keep it as sure as possible. Um, music is an intellectual. Music is um, a discipline of a physical aspect. Music is a discipline of striving to be the best every time. Music is, is, is that discipline that there is not a grade. There is not, there is not a teacher that is going to tell you, you got an A in the class and grade and you're the best. It doesn't work like that. Music is just endless and you're always going to keep adding. You're always going to keep improving. You're going to be 80, 88 years old and you're going to still be improving um, if you keep the work that you, that you started, right? Um, and that has teach me music and that I take it to everything. So I, I, I do think going around with the same question um, in the school system um, and music and anything that is around us, everything can be improved. Every single thing can be improved. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot to take in from it. I think the school system has a lot to give us. Um, as us, we are all professional. I mean, I'm still in school. Matthew is still in school. Um, we are still taking a lot, a lot from it. We're still taking a lot of it. And, and, and I wish to be a student every single moment of my life and never stop. Um, I think it's the most enriching thing that anybody can take. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot of things to improve. And I think our generation and future generation are going to keep it improving, improving, improving. And to someday, we don't have anything else to improve. I don't think that's a possibility. I think there will always be something to improve. Music is, is, is a big lesson for that. I mean, we work really hard. We practice eight hours, four hours. Different people practice different, different amount of time. And at the end of the day, you go to stage, you miss an out, and then you feel like, oh, my God, come on. <laughs> I practiced all these hours, and that one note affected completely how I feel. Why? It's because we're striving for perfection, and, and that's not a reality. The reality is to try for the best that you can and be happy with it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's walking that line between appreciating what you have, that gratitude, but also saying this could be better. I think that's a fine line to walk, but it's, an important, you know, it's important to have both uh, because we have an amazing public education system in the United States, and particularly in California. Um, I was just talking with a professor from UC Santa Barbara about the UC system having the first, you know, majority Latinx uh, incoming class this year, first African-American president of the UC system. You know, so there's, you know, and, and California's education is, is like that. We're just the best in the world. And so I think, uh, yeah, balancing those two things is important. So um, I want to talk about uh, chamber music. I, I think when kids uh, think of classical music, they think of a big symphony. They think of the sounds that, uh, the sounds that are made on the screen when Captain America is punching someone in the face, some like heroic 
symphony sounds. When I think of classical music, I don't think of that necessarily. I mean, I love, I love orchestral music, but um, for me, uh, those, smaller, those smaller groups, um, are, that's, that's the music that I listen to on a more regular basis. I mean, you know, sure, I'm driving to work, put on Wagner, just, I'm, just, I'm just going. But, you know, um, on, on a regular basis, I'm not, I'm not listening to Wagner while I'm cooking dinner. That's not happening this house um so what makes what makes a string court and any of you can answer this um not all of you necessarily have to but what what makes a string quartet distinct i go for it i'm gonna shoot for it <laughs> <laughs> um okay so to go over that i think it's really important to understand that the most complete um art form is actually the opera opera is the big complete form they have a scenario where they have um, beautiful scenario in their back in, in the background. Um, they have tests, so they have words. Um, they have a symphony orchestra. They have singers, um, which is the 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 most natural instrument. Um, but that's not really easy to take it everywhere. <laughs> Just imagine about taking a whole opera scene everywhere you go. Do you want to do a house concert? Do you want to make a small concert? So it's, it's really not that easy. Even if you try to take an orchestra, it's a completely, it's really, really complicated. A string quartet, that's the beautiful string quartet. You still have the complete, you have a complete harmony of, of, of all the voices and you can take it anywhere. Actually, a string quartet was originally performed in a house concert, right? And a house concert was where, where a string quartet was performing. When Haydn was thinking about um, writing any of his quartet, that he wrote 68 string quartet. Um, he was thinking about, hey, let's, let's have this in the, in the living room and have probably 10, 20 people in the house. Um, and that was a great concert, you know, and it was a, a gathering with friends. These, uh, um, this is really important for us. Um, and I think, I think the string quartet has that beauty, has that, that, that versatility. To, to be in a house concert, to be in a huge concert hall, um, to be anywhere. I mean, we can go anywhere. We just grab our instruments, a stand, the music, a chair for me, <laughs> and that's it. And, and we can play anywhere. Um, but just try to do that with orchestra. It, it just become completely um, impossible almost. So, so that's one of the beauties of string quartet. It's, it's, a, it's a small gathering with friends to create the most beautiful music that we can create. I think to, to build on that, the, the unique part of a string quartet or watching a string quartet is you can see the energy and connection between all four players. Um, I think the difference when you're going to watch an orchestra, yes, you can, you can see everybody kind of engaging with the conductor, but not every single person is going to engage with every single person on stage. It's a little different when you're going to watch a string quartet because I mean, I'm, I'm looking at all three of my, my quartet members 100 times per movement, per piece, just to make sure we're all locked in together. And I think there's some kind of, of, of visual beauty there when you're seeing musicians not only be technically uh, challenged and, and, and being precise with all those technical difficulties, but also being able to connect with other musicians to a level where you're just able to have the same thoughts at the same exact time. Yeah, I think the another thing that's really cool about it is that it's stripping away all those other things that you get from like an opera or symphony where um, a composer might be able to hide behind sort of like all these different timbres and textures and things they can do. 
and then you come back down to the string quartet and you have four voices all in slightly well three in three slightly different registers or four because you know first and second violin are written differently and they but they come together and create this both very cohesive sound yet very distinct and you can hear each individual voice and it's just so cool because like you can tell different string quartets apart from each other because they have their own unique sound and then within that quartet each player has their own unique sound and it's like um it's just really cool to hear that that both both things at once right one thing and then many things and uh i think we also we got a really cool quote from another string quartet player that we worked with from alexander string quartet and he said um a, a string quartet is just for intelligent people having a conversation and i really like that because it just brings it back to the intimacy of playing in a string quartet and that's why i really love it and love doing it with these people <laughs> in particular well i have to say you know part of the Part of the uh, benefit for me as being a, I would say, broadly mediocre musician is when I always played in the jazz groups, I could hide uh, because it was so large and I could just strum my guitar in the back and comp and no one could hear me if I messed up. That was one of my favorite parts of being in a large group. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to do a, a new, you guys are my test subjects in a new section to this podcast, overrated versus underrated. So, you know, obviously the terms are kind of self-explanatory. Someone's overrated if they're, you know, if they're popular, but maybe don't deserve to be. And someone's underrated if they, people don't listen to them enough or appreciate their work enough. And so we're gonna start with an absolute softball. Um, Joseph Hayden, overrated or underrated? Anybody can answer. Okay, I'll answer. <laughs> okay. Um, so Haydn um, is considered the father of the string quartet. And there was chamber music before him, um, but he's really the one that created the string quartet where there are four equal voices, like Leanna was saying. So he wrote a million and one string quartets. The string quartet itself has evolved and composers have taken it in many directions, but like he's, you know, indisputably the, the, the king of the string quartet. So I don't know. He's neither. <laughs> but so, yeah. So your alternative is prop, maybe properly rated, even though I don't want you to do that because I want you to take a stand. You know what I mean? But you can say properly rated. I think properly rated. When I was younger, I mean... When I was younger, I thought, oh, you know, he, his music, the classical uh, era that he was in is kind of simple. It's not, you know, it's not my favorite or whatever. But, you know, as we get older, we come to appreciate the music for what it is. So and what he did. So I don't know, properly or underrated even. Okay. Next. Oh, oh sorry. Have, I'm going to add have a different take. Yeah, I actually think, yeah, leaning towards underrated because okay. I think everyone compares him to Mozart and Beethoven because they're like all in the same area. And I, I, I always get a sense Haydn's a little lower on the totem pole in people's eyes and in their programming because there's always Mozart and Beethoven on the program, but not as much Haydn. And I think there's a lot there that we're not 
we're not uh, capitalizing on enough, maybe. That's my hot take. Next one. Anyone that's ever sat on the phone pissed off with their internet provider knows what I'm talking about. The Four Seasons, Vivaldi, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Okay, okay. underrated. The reason why, um, his work actually were not performed for a long, long time and were actually written out of the books. and it's not until I, I cannot remember if it's in the 20th century where, where, where his work were actually found. Um, so his works are like sort of a new thing for our generation. Um, but there were a long period of time where his work were not, were not alive. And, and I think the reason why people are so excited to see all of his works around, it's because they were not in, 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 in our tradition for some, so long. But they're incredible work. I mean, incredible work that, that composers are taking apart and trying to learn from it. So I think it's really underrated. He, he is amazing. <laughs> Any other hot takes? Vivaldi, Four Seasons. <laughs> okay, next one. This one's a little bit out of left field. Uh, Schoenberg, atonal music, underrated or overrated? I think definitely underrated, and I think every postmodern composer, you know, going into atonal music is definitely going to be underrated, just because it's not the aesthetically pleasing type of music that society is so accustomed to today. We're so used to pop music and and never, never hearing an atonal chord in a pop song, right? So when we hear Schoenberg, it's really, our brain doesn't really want to understand it, or it's not capable of it, but Studying, studying Schoenberg and, and every postmodern composer, there's, it's, it's really inspiring to see and learn about what they do because they're actually the pioneers of, of keeping you know, classical music alive and, and keep in, in, uh, letting the genre um, evolve. Because I think if the genre doesn't keep evolving, then I think that's why people keep saying classical music is dead. But they're just not aware of you know, all these composers that are still out there you know, changing and, and creating all these new types of music. Just to add for, to what Matthew said, um, I, 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 I completely agree with that. And I think for some reason, because the, we are in our ears, we're not as familiar with, with all the core functioning, because back in the centuries, they were prohibited and they were, <laughs> they were banished, if you go back in history. Um, we don't treat them as a, such a beautiful work. And they actually are really amazing work. If you take the, the, the time to really find the beauty on them, they're all, every composer is trying as hard as they can to, to make expression about something that they live. Um, some composers were expressed about World War II, World War I, some Civil War, um, some life experience. All of them are trying to express something. And at the end of the day, making somebody getting out of the concert thinking, oh my God, that was ugly. That's an expression. And that is an emotion. And that's exactly what we're trying to evoke. So, so it's doing actually the job. <laughs> okay. Yes, one more. Um, so yes, I agree with both of them. And I just wanted to add, uh, Leanna and I did our uh, graduate degrees in music performance at Fresno State. And we had to take a semester of post-tonal uh, music theory. 
and it was amazing. And, you know, I think with this music that you're not used to hearing performing in these ways, when you really delve into the intellectual side of this music, you're really able to understand it more and be in that kind of frame of mind when you hear it. So I just wanted to chime in. Okay. So only one of you answer this, but this is my question because I, I love, you know, I love where atonal music got me. It got me to the minimalist world, which I is an obsession of mine, you know, uh, Reich, like, and then it got to the environmental world with John Luther Adams. I mean, I could, I can just go on and on and on. Um, but I have not found the proper venue to listen to Schoenberg. You know, but I've tried to listen to him drinking coffee. Doesn't work. Tried to listen to him during dinner. Doesn't work. So when is the proper time to listen to a good Schoenberg piece? Uh, maybe it's not a background music for any, any occasion. <laughs> I think the music kind of demands your attention. That's sort of part of it. Like, I feel like every time that I really enjoy listening to like, you know, post-tonal music, it's when I'm there, I came to see music, I came to be enveloped in it. And I just, it takes you somewhere else. And I really like what Kelvin was saying. It makes you kind of confront these uncomfortable emotions. And like you're saying, you don't want to be uncomfortable when you're cooking or you're cleaning or something. You're already probably uncomfortable enough cleaning. So, um, I think it's it's more intellectual. It, it's that kind of, of music where you go knowing that you're going to have to work a little bit to enjoy it, which personally, in the right context, I like. Yeah, I mean, you know, we it, music has become kind of like the ambience on Instagram, you know, it's, and it doesn't, and, you know, music should have some element of work to it. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if you only ever eat chips, you know, what do you look like? So I, um, the next, next one is kind of a, you know, a fun one. Uh, to see if you want to blaspheme uh, a saint of classical music. John Williams, overrated or underrated? Under. I mean, sorry, overrated. Overrated, there you go. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yes, and it's very well known in the classical music world and um, avid classical listeners that he lifts music from composers. So uh, in Star Wars, there's a lot of Gustav's Holt uh, hosts the planets, especially Mars. You hear that in the Darth Vader theme and all this kind of stuff. It's really well known that he, you know, uh, whether, you know, it's intentional or he's, you know, paying homage to these composers or just lifting the themes, you know, he, he, he gets a lot of credit for things that he didn't come up with. Okay, next one. I'm going to make these faster. Beethoven's fifth. Who's up? Someone's got to take it. No, <laughs> no one wants to answer Beethoven's fifth? <laughs> Maybe overrated because that's the thing that everybody knows. Yeah, I think if you but, ask somebody what Beethoven's seven sounds like, they're not going to okay. really so know. Just, so. <laughs> too much. Okay, this one's for Kelvin. Yo-Yo Ma, overrated or underrated? Put him in the spot here. Um, hey, you know, you chose the instrument. He is an amazing musician. He, he really is. Um, I actually got the, the pleasure to, to watch him twice and performing. I think he, 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 is, he is looking for something in the musical world, right? He is bringing audience that we didn't have um, 
back in the days. I mean, he, he, he is really going for the young generation to try to bring them to the concert hall. So I think if you go from the traditional point of view, um, he is not as traditional as today playing, but in his earliest life, he was, he was really well um, established as a cellist and, 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 and really did some amazing things. Um, but I think what he's doing with the, with the musical world, it's, it's amazing. Um, and he is a really inspiring person to talk to and, and, and to be around. I, um, that one is a hard one for me to answer, really. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. And, you know, I mean, I think some people, right, some people have to be innovators in a genre. And then some people have to be the ones that, like, bring everybody in, right? We need them. Um, and both of those are needed in, in, in any world. Uh, so that's that's all the ones I wanted to ask you over. There's some other ones, but you know those are just we'll, we'll talk about those after. Um, so can you one of you maybe talk a little bit about how the string quartet has evolved over time um, from the days of Hayden to now? I mean, obviously not the whole thing, but like how has it changed and what does the string quartet look like uh, today? Okay, answering I guess. <laughs> um, a string quartet. We have to understand that from back in the days um we used to have big sponsors right um and 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 our careers are not cheap we have to understand that our instruments are super expensive and for some of us to acquire um a good decent instrument there's a lot of money that goes into there we have to acquire we have <laughs> there's a lot of money there just with that period um so back in the days, we used to have um, people who are donors who, who would sponsor the career of string quartet to be able to, to just sit day to nine and rehearse and, and, and really perform at the highest level possible. And today's day, we still have that. If you go to, to Juilliard, to Curtis, to, to Colburn, big institutes like this, they do have that privilege, um, which, it, again, as I said, it is a privilege. We don't. And in today's world, we are entrepreneurs. So we, we work from our programs. We do, we practice our music. We rehearse. Um, we have to teach. All of us teach um, a little bit. Um, so we all do a little bit of everything. Um, so it's a really a different world. It's a, it's a different um, style. We are focusing more on what we are giving to the community. Our community is extremely important. Um, I think the way that we become better is by giving back to our community. Um, so, so string quartets are changing, are changing a lot. Um, I think the music scene in general is changing a lot. It's instead of being this huge thing that I have to present to the whole world, this, this, this sublime thing, I, I, I have to present to my, to my community and outlift them, especially in, in such a difficult time like right now, it's where you really see that the job that we that we as a quartet been doing for 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 about already two years already a year two years yeah two years um it's it's paying off it's it's working for the community it's exactly that that then 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 we were in the right track it's it's working for to make our community feel better feel emotion yeah well so Calvin brought it up so we'll just jump kind of into the next question a little bit so. Um, you know, obviously the economics of being a musician are different today. Um, and so it, with that in mind, um, if you were the guest lecturer at, you know, the first class that a music major would take, 
And your job was to kind of explain the economics um, of being a professional musician. Um, how would you explain to him? And would you have more of a be careful or a more of a go for it approach in how you talked about being a professional musician? given your experience and what you've experienced in, in that world? Um, I would not discourage anyone, but I would tell them to be prepared to work hard for their money. Like it's not, they're not going to just get that job, which I think is, uh, you know, not true for a lot of professions these days, as far as when you leave college, but especially for musicians, like I think a lot of us think, we're going to get an orchestra job or we're going to like, there's going to be a job opening for a string quartet, or I'm going to become a soloist or a college professor who teaches, but you know, everybody wants those jobs. And so they're, they're not everywhere. And so you really have to create this um, kind of hodgepodge Frankenstein of a career <laughs> where it's a little bit of teaching. Um, it's a little bit of playing gigs like weddings. Um, it's a little bit of, you know, yeah, playing an orchestra, but you might not be like in the orchestra, you might be like a sub um, and working towards an audition for a permanent position. And a lot of orchestras aren't even full time anymore. So you're not getting benefits. You're not getting all these things that, you know, everyone's striving for, because again, our industry is sort of uh, waning, especially for the orchestra. So um, that job isn't as um, sought after anymore. So like Calvin's saying, a lot of things are changing. A lot of people are figuring out how to do things differently. So I would encourage students to find, like, find where the industry is going. Like I'm noticing a lot more people are getting online and, you know, teaching online, doing like a YouTube channel, like Ray Chen, who is an international soloist, already super, super successful, but he's also got like a great online presence. Um, and I think a lot of other people are doing that too and like finding their niches that way. That's the other thing, like find your, the one thing that's special about you and capitalize on that thing. And then while you're in school, uh, make sure that you network like crazy. Um, make sure you find the education between the classes. Ask your teachers lots of questions. Um, work with your colleagues as much as possible. Like I was really um, lucky to be part of the new music ensemble at Fresno State like when we first started. Um, and that was a great opportunity to try playing new music in a safe environment, you know. Uh, when you're in college, you've got this great safety net where everyone wants to help you learn and get better. But in the professional world, it's way more cutthroat. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of have one chance a lot of the time to make it or break it. So, you know, uh, stretch your legs out and test your wings um, while there are people to catch you. And uh, don't waste your time. Go to your lessons and your rehearsals super prepared. Uh, otherwise, you're going to regret it. Because like I said, once you get out into the real world, there's not as much support. Uh, you can't pay the $400 a month it's going to cost for private lessons anymore. So um, just really get in there, go hard, <laughs> but look towards the future at the same time. Yeah, I just recently spoke with um, an artist. Uh, her name's Elowin, and she has a really cool like internet, uh, Instagram kind of world that she operates in. And she was saying that she wished that universities had kind of like a business for creatives world, you know, because it's like, 
it's like, it's, it, it just feels like the business doesn't really make sense for creatives and it feels like creatives have to go, you know, they have to market themselves differently. That it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a mixture of entrepreneurship, but you also have to have certain skills anyway. But uh, I want to hear, hear more of what you guys think. I think uh, me personally, the advice I would give to, um, you know, a student going into music regarding economics would just be very self-aware and very honest with yourself and understand your situation at all times. Like you, there's going to be points where you're going to need a job outside of your music. And even though it's like, you feel like that's going to be a distraction, it's just the facts of like how, how your life is going to have to work at that time. I definitely had to go, go through that a couple of times. So um, now just being very self-aware. So, but also not putting anything above your music and, and being still being very honest with yourself when it comes to your music and progression that way. So not letting uh, every part of your life kind of intermingle and trying to stay in control of, you know, finance, practice, uh, and work and all those other kinds of things. So obviously we all love classical music, but we also love other kinds of music, right? So. I want to hear what each of you listens to when you're when you're not in what what is your now, I don't want to say guilty pleasure because that's not what I'm asking but like what is your like non-classical music that you like that you listen to um I I know everyone says this a lot of times but I like most everything you know I uh I've I've been like that for a while because like I said I was sort of not I don't want to say the word forced but I was told strongly to play the violin <laughs> by my mom and so I actually kind of like went away from that in uh my teenage years like I said I was like, kind of rebellious so I like rock I like you know like David Bowie and and things like that and indie music um and I really started to look into groups that capitalize on that and they mix a lot of different genres and do fusion and stuff like that like right now i'm actually into this a group called the goat rodeo um, that i highly recommend to people where it fuses classical music and like bluegrass and it's got yo-yo ma calvin's favorite uh <laughs> and edgar meyer an incredible bass player and then uh, Christy Lee plays mandolin, and uh, I forget the fiddle player's name, but um, it's really cool because these guys are at the height of their their respective genres, and and yet they're coming together and creating something new. And that's something that I'm really passionate about because I wanna I wanna have everything. <laughs> I don't want to come over here for my classical and go over here for you know my pop. I just I I really like it when it's able to mesh together in a really interesting way. Yeah, definitely the, the same way. I listen to pretty much everything. I like my joke is always I listen to everything except country. No offense to the country listeners out there, but I just I just can't. It just doesn't doesn't ring well in my ears. Um, but I also have been taking recently a lot of interest into like EDM and artists such as like Porter Robinson stuff like that because as I'm noticing and taught and previously how I talked about you know genres always have to evolve and, and classical music is, is still a genre that's evolving we're constantly changing the way we play our instruments um, and things like that and I think it's a nice parallel with EDM because artists you know there's so much more software being produced so much more um, technology being produced so they can change sounds in so many different ways that we didn't think were possible before so hearing all that those ideas from these kinds of artists come through through in EDM is also really, really cool. 
Um, so I also like many different genres of music. I am always listening to Lithium on Sirius XM. It's like the 90s grunge kind of channel. That was my jam back in the day. Um, I love Broadway musicals. Um, uh, but you were also mentioning minimalism, which is actually my favorite genre of uh, postmodern classical music. And I will listen to, you know, John Adams, you know, some Nixon in China and all this, like any, any time of day, but it also translates to other groups. I love Radiohead. And if you think about some of their music, it's, it's pure minimalism, like their album Kid A. Uh, it just it transcends the the boundaries of different genres. So that's what I love. I like everything. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything. I I think um, I know how how big the power of music it has. So depending how I feel one day, I would just go from. I have a lot of playlists. <laughs> As Matthew, he has seen a couple of my playlists. <laughs> it's like oh wow. <laughs> I really change. Sometimes I, I feel in a certain way, so I listen to this style of music and that. And so, so I, I, I'm not so into anything or any artist. I, I, I'm not a person to look for, for that artist. I think everybody has a, a song, a piece in classical music that, that they are great on, and that's the one that I want to hear. I want to hear the best of each person, but, you know, yeah. Awesome. Well, I. I want to finish with two questions. One are, um, I, want some, I want some classical music recommendations from you guys, uh, the musicians, um, who I should be listening to. Um, and then I also want to hear about uh, some of the upcoming events you guys are going to be doing, whether virtual or in person, um, and where people can find that. So let's start with the first one. Who are some people I should be listening to? Um, well, I, I think I know you also had a question on here about like, innovative string quartet oh yeah yeah yeah. and that kind of seems like maybe <laughs> what you might be into and um there's one called uh, the turtle island quartet i don't know if you're familiar with them but i really love them because like i said they get into that uh fusion thing where it's a string quartet they play traditional quartet music but their main uh focus is you know fusing with like jazz and rock and they improvise within the quartet which i i really really love because I also play, I played in a rock band called Before Perils with like guitar and percussion and stuff where I got to improvise, but I haven't been able to like fuse the two yet. Mm -hmm. And I really one day want to be able to do that. And then um, the Kronos Quartet is also like a very easy, yeah, one for innovation, but they've been actually around since the 70s, which is crazy. And then um, another one that people probably already know, but I would highly recommend is the Ataka Quartet, uh, who just won a Grammy for their recording of Orange, um, which is really cool because it was uh, a modern composition by a female composer, Caroline Shaw. And uh, we actually got to work with their new second violinist, uh, Dominic Salerni, this past summer. And he's really, really awesome and an incredible player. And he's lucky to be in there and they're lucky to have him. And yeah, I can't recommend him enough. So, yeah. I think composer-wise, I think you should definitely check out all of the Shostakovich string quartets. I think it's, it's in my rotation of things to listen to. I just shuffle uh, all of them all together, and it's just 
it's our it's our favorite composer, I think, as a quartet to play. Um, but just the melodies that that Shostakovich has is it makes you it brings out all of your extreme emotions to the max. Just out of going out of what Mati said, I remember <laughs> we performing a, a Shostakovich quartet, and and we were playing like several works of Shostakovich, um, like several orchestra that we were playing on. And we all look at each other and we're like, I'm so depressed, man. <laughs> Dude, Shostakovich has me in this mindset. Yes. <laughs> that was a little side note. Um, I, I have a, my favorite recording um, is of this artist that is called Artonoras. Um, I played for him at some point, and, and these men just changed completely the way that I think about classical music and music in general. Um, and he has a recording of the hiding in D and D major um isn't Spotify um oh my god I, I I just every time that I listen to it I just go to tears and then so I love that recording because the first movement makes a statement the second one makes me cry and the third one makes me happy so <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> yeah okay I guess I'll go there you go <laughs> um I I also recommend the Shostakovich string quartets and you know there's one that's very famous that we've played but there are others how many did he write nine ten mm, something like that i can't remember off the top of my head they're all amazing you should listen to them all um brahms brahms is amazing uh listen to his his string quartets uh beethoven especially his late quartets are amazing just basically if you're interested in classical but you're you know quote unquote sick of four seasons and things that 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 you hear over and over again delve deeper into you know the the compositions of these of these people and you'll find like hidden gems you'll find amazing things you can go down the rabbit hole yeah what do you what do you guys think about um i i Enjoyed for a while the Danish string quartet, and they did some like kind of interesting Danish folk music, like and it was really simple stuff. But I I, I enjoyed it as as kind of like an interesting, you know, kind because of, I mean I I guess that's their kind of country music. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't know anything about Danish, and I you know their language looks weird. Um, but uh, what do you guys think about them? Are they are they interesting? They're very interesting, and like you said, they don't only you know play classical music. They do folk music. They do local music, and that's something that we also uh, love to do. You know, we're in Fresno. We're on a Fresno podcast. Let's talk about Fresno composers in every program that we have uh, done over the past two years. We have performed a work by a living composer, local composer, because we feel it's really important to tie it into the community. So, you know, seek out these these composers as well. Go to live recitals when we can do that again. Um, but there there's a lot of talent here as well. Where do we find them? Where I mean, uh, like, I, you know, I'm relatively new to town, so that's my excuse. But where do you find local composers? Like, uh, how, what's, because I'm, I'm sure we'd all be curious, you know, to hear. Well, a great place to go is like the college right away because that's where uh, we have three composition professors, Dr. Bryce Pannell, Dr. Benjamin Boone, and Dr. Kenneth Froelich. 
And uh, Boone and Froelich actually have had pieces uh, performed by the Fresno Philharmonic here, which is really awesome. So you might see their names pop up again. In fact, I think Froelich might have a, another piece being programmed soon. So look out for their names. And we actually have a commissioned uh, piece from Dr. Bryce Cannell that he's just finishing up. <laughs> we were planning on doing this before the shutdown happened, but um, we're still really excited about um, performing that. And he actually uh, wrote it with us specifically in mind. Uh, each movement is uh, dedicated to each of us. And he collaborated with us about how to represent us each, like very specifically. Uh, like for mine, he took quotes from some of my favorite like pop and rock songs, which uh, I think is really cool and, and twisted around in this really cool way. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the unfortunate thing is that I think that the Fresno audiences are not all the way there as far as being ready to always support the new music um, that comes out. But I think that that's why groups like ours and uh, also there was Orpheus before us, but unfortunately um, they, they actually just ended uh, for good. But, you know, their board is still there looking to support <laughs> somebody so that there's a group um, out there putting out new music. And again, like I said, the college, I think, is where I would go first because that new music ensemble I was telling you about is still there. And it's being run by students, which is really amazing. And they're playing student compositions. And so, yeah, that's where you always want to look into the future is uh, the students. Well, I have to say this and, you know, make you guys all blush. But I, I, I just recently talked uh, with uh, Donald Monroe and I said, what is the thing you are most excited about in classical music in Fresno? And the first words out of his mouth were Tower Quartet. So, yeah, he's he's very excited about you guys, and I'm so excited. So on that note, where uh, where are we going to see you all next in, in these horrible times we're living in? Where are we going to see you guys next so we can have a, a breath of good air, fresh air? Uh, well, we uh, are kind of in flux right now and because things like change on a yeah they change on a dime. So uh, we are planning on recording a program. Um, at the University Presbyterian Church where we usually have our concerts. Uh, there won't be a live audience, but we're gonna record ourselves and probably release that we're hoping around December. Um, and we're also maybe looking into doing like an outdoor concert here or there while it's still staying warm. Um, and then after that, we're basically just, just playing it by ear. But yeah, it is really hard right now for, for all musicians and all performing artists. So all I can say is keep following us. Uh, we have Facebook, we have Instagram at the Tower Quartet. Uh, get on our email list. Um, just email us at thetowerquartet at gmail.com and we'll put you on the list. Um, we have thetowerquartet.com. Um, and oh, also, if, if you are feeling generous, we have a cash app. Uh, if you look up dollar sign, um, the tower or just tower quartets or if you're not comfortable with that you can always email us um if again if you're feeling generous and also because when we do release that video of the concert we're planning on doing it free so that everyone can see it so if you want to support that and see more of that um that's how you can do it please just cash in the mail come on guys it is so hard it is so hard to be a creative person you know people People are 
deluded in thinking that creative work should just come for free. And I hate it. And, you know, I, it's, it's tough out there. And if you like something, if you care about something, then you have to support it financially. You just have to, or it will disappear. It will disappear. If you like there being classical music, if you want to live in a city where classical music exists, you actually have to support it. You actually have to. And if you don't, you're saying that you don't want to live in a world that way. And I, and I, I don't think a lot of the listeners to this podcast, at least, think that way. So support them and support what they're doing because uh, it's hard work. I mean, we talked about at the beginning. It's hard work to be a musician and to do it well, you know. Um, so please support them. Thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate it. It's fun talking to you guys. And, uh, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait uh, for whatever you guys do next. I'm so excited. Thank you, Jordan, for the invitation. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you for having us, Jordan. Show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this episode has inspired you to support local artists and get more classical music into your life. Both of those activities will feed your soul. Period. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>